Warning, the following program is solely intended for a mature audience. Any of the idiotic opinions and views expressed on this show are solely opinions of Dark Cringe Radio and not of its advertisers, which is completely pointless because this poorly produced, dumbass podcast has no advertisers. Furthermore, any rebroadcast or redistribution of Dark Friend Radio podcasts without per- the permission is strictly prohibited. If you do, we will find you. And then we will send three black-eyed children to your home or office to collect your soul. Thank you. Enjoy the show. Coming to you live from the Mistopheles Studios in Stark Bridge. Dark Fringe Radio. Will Martinez here with you guys tonight, and thanks for joining in on the podcast. And we got a great one for you tonight, I promise you. It's going to be a good one. And of course, I got my partners in crime, Jake Losey J. What's up? Going on, bud? Not much. And of course, the lovely, lovely Gab. How are you, hun? I am doing well. How are you guys doing? Very, very, very good. Very good. Thanks, guys, for uh, joining on this week's episode of the podcast. We're going to be talking about urban legends in entertainment. Now, um, something that uh, we kind of brought up, and uh, we said, hey, let's talk about some of these movies and these music urban legends that everybody knows about that really don't really know anything about. But we're going to get all to that here in a second. We'll talk some news, do a horror uh, movie review. So we have a uh, fully loaded podcast for you guys tonight. So um, again, I wanted to remind everybody of the social media. You could uh, catch all our stuff on darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. That's the website. Uh, Check that out. Um, You can catch everything that we post on there. Um, Also, the other three main uh, sources for our social media, which is Twitter, Facebook, and also Instagram. You can catch uh, all our stuff on Dark Fringe Radio there as well. Uh, Please share and uh, like. Let everybody know that might be interested in this kind of stuff and uh, let them know. Just tell them about us. I mean, that's just the best way you can help us out um, is by spreading the word. And um, that's how you can get us, uh, you know, up there in the ranks and uh, heard by many, 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 many other people. So uh, tonight I, we have a great episode of the podcast. And um, another thing I wanted to mention is um, how to listen to the podcast. Very simple. If you have an iPhone, you can just go to your iTunes, look up Dark Fringe Radio. Boom, we're right there in the podcast section. Give a five-star rating. Give a comment. Uh, please, a favorable comment, of course. And do all those things for us and uh, subscribe. Once you subscribe, um, it'll either download to your device automatically or uh, it'll give you a notification once a new uh, episode has been downloaded. So you can do the same thing on an Android phone. If you have an Android phone, all you got to do is go to your Play Music app. And then uh, once you go in there, just look up Dark Fringe Radio. Same uh, scenario. The podcast section right there. Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe and uh, give a rating as well. Um, and it's the same situation there. So those are the two ways to listen to the podcast. Uh, if you can't, um, by some reason or um, whatever the problem may be, you can't get it that way, you can always go to SoundCloud and look up Dark Fringe Radio on SoundCloud.com, and it'll bring you right to our page, and uh, you'll be able to listen to the uh, the weekly episodes of the podcast. So, all right, guys. Well, let's. Uh, that's enough for the intro. Let's jump into some news. Let's jump into the the topics of the week. For 15 years, I've been trying to teach you how to write a lead. Do I have to do everything myself? Get the story, write the story? We'll do it live! 
bucket. I was looking at the James Brown wig. Fucking thing sucks. That's your kind of thing, Maria. You love doing it yourself. Sometimes, yeah. I, I can. Take Confucius, I do not think this story had much validity. <laughs> I wanted to jump into the first topic of the week and talk about the topic of probably the majority of the United States right now. And uh, that's the infamous Stormy Daniels. Um, do you guys are familiar with this situation? No, yeah, I'm not. You mean the porn star that the president was boykin before he was president? Well, Jay has it right. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. But yeah, Gab, yeah, that's uh, the president-elect of the United States basically had an affair with a porn star back in 2006 by the name of Stormy Daniels. And um, unfortunately... <laughs> Um, not a great looking porn star, by the way, either. I was like, I was, I was hoping it was going to be somebody a little bit better looking, but, but nonetheless, hey, you know, to each his own. But, uh, yeah, he had this affair with the porn star back in 2006. It was back in Lake Tahoe in Nevada. And, um, it happened, uh, during that time. And unfortunately, the issue and the reason why this is all coming up now is that he paid hush money to keep her quiet. He basically paid her one hundred and fifty thousand dollars with an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement, basically stating that she would never talk about this or would have to find at the one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now, this is the issue at hand: one hundred fifty thousand dollars fine, right? But we're going to pay you one hundred fifty thousand, right? Whatever, that's fine. She she gets paid one hundred fifty thousand, but if she talks about it, she's going to get fined one hundred fifty thousand. She ends up nothing, okay? But if she does an interview on sixty minutes. That's an interview she can sell for $2.45 million. So what, of course, of incentive is it for her to keep quiet at that point? None. So what happened? 60 Minutes did an interview with her this past week, and on Sunday came out, and she basically you know, put it all out there. And, uh, uh, and the really issue at hand is that he paid her this hush money during the campaign uh, because he knew that this would come out. Um, and so that's illegal. That's an illegal thing. You can't do that while you're uh, as a person in the campaign for running for presidency. You just cannot do that. Any of your funds that you use to do anything with becomes a, uh, a campaign contrib- uh, contribution. A lot of people don't know that, but that's how it, how, it's how it works. It's all managed through campaign funds. So once you become a candidate, which he did, he ended up paying her $150,000 and this all is fucking blown up in his face right now. Uh, because she said, fuck the 150000 I don't need that. I can take the 2.4 and do a 60-minute interview and get paid. Sitting here talking to me today, you could be fined a million dollars. I mean, aren't you taking a big risk? I am. I guess I'm not 100% sure on why you're doing this. Because it was very important to me to be able to defend myself. I was in a parking lot going to a fitness class with my infant daughter. I was taking, you know, the seats facing backwards in the back seat, diaper bag, you know, getting all the stuff out. And a guy walked up on me and said to me, leave Trump alone, forget the story. And then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said, a beautiful little girl, it'd be a shame if something happened to her mom. And then he was gone. Did you go to the police? No. Why? Because I was scared. I believe without a shadow of a doubt in my heart and some people argue that I don't have one of those, but whatever, that I was doing the right thing. I turned down a large payday multiple times because, one, 
I didn't want to kiss and tell and be labeled all the things that I'm being labeled now. I didn't want to take away from the legitimate and legal, I'd like to point out, career that I've worked very hard to establish. And most importantly, I did not want my family and my child exposed to all the things that she's being exposed to right now. Because everything that I was afraid of coming out has come out anyway. And guess what? I don't have a million dollars. <laughs> so you signed and released uh, a statement that said, I'm not denying this affair because I was paid in hush money. I'm denying it because it never happened. That's a lie. Yes. If it was untruthful, why did you sign it? Because they made it sound like I had no choice. I mean, no one was putting a gun to your head. Not physical violence, no. You thought that there would be some sort of legal repercussion if you didn't sign Correct. it. Correct. As a matter of fact, the exact sentence used was, they can make your life hell in many different ways. They being? I'm not exactly sure who they were. I believe it to be Michael Cohen. The president watches 60 Minutes. If he's watching tonight, what would you say to him? He knows I'm telling the truth. What do you guys think about that? Well, I kind of like that she's doing it. Yeah, she's got balls, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who else has come out? I mean, except for maybe um, the girl, the lady in um, the Clinton administration, of course. What was her name? Um, Lewinsky, right? Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, that's her name. And then there was another one um, during that same time. I think it was something, I don't know, forget her name, Flowers or something like that. But, I mean, the president's really found himself in a pickle here because um, the lawyer for him basically said, oh, no, no, yeah, I paid that out of my funds. But the problem is, is that even though he does that, he incriminates himself. So he kind of put his foot in his mouth. And um, I'm kind of liking that this Stormy Daniels lady is just coming out and just all steam ahead. And her lawyer, by by uh, just by mentioning, this guy is nonstop. When the press asked him about, you know, what's going on and how is this all going to play out? He said, you know what? He goes, sit back and get ready for a ride. <laughs> that was his that was, that was his quote. So obviously there's a lot of you know information that still hasn't come out that may potentially come out in the near future about what's going on with this whole situation, but uh, a very nefarious um, uh, situation for the uh, president of the United States right now. Yeah, but I mean, if you really look at the grand scheme of things, all right, he paid a porn star to keep her mouth shut because he paid her to bang. Because we know his wife ain't giving it to him no more. They had the kid and she was like, that's the last of that little wicked cock I want to see. So, I mean... I don't appreciate that he broke a law that I didn't know was a law. But on the other hand, I kind of, with this whole presidency, it, it, he's like a magician. I said it, I've said it on the podcast previously. It gets you looking at the one hand with some kind of stupid bullshit he's saying about, you know, football players are being unthankful assholes. And in the meantime, he's doing other things that push us closer to nuclear war or the country's falling he, apart. He, yeah, he keeps he keeps getting us to look at these stupid Twitter battles that should be beneath the president, but he's getting us to do it so he can go off and do whatever he wants to do as president because we get all hopped up talking about, well, I can't believe he paid hush money to a porn star so she wouldn't talk about their terrible sex one night in Tahoe, and, and everybody loses complete focus because we're a country of people full of ADHD apparently and we can't seem to, to, to look at the grand scheme of things as to the other things that probably need a lot more attention than if he 
banged the porn star and gave her one hundred fifty thousand dollars to shove. It, the thing is, is this, is that obviously there's um, a morality issue and that he has to deal with between him and his wife, you know? So he has to deal with that with him, you know, him and her. That's that's their separate issue. The issue at hand, though, is the, the legality issue. And, you know, that really, you know, comes into play. And the, the White House has been, doc, you know, ducking and dodging this whole thing. And another playmate has come out. Another person uh, has come out and said that they were actually in love with Donald Trump and uh, saying that he was the best. Yeah. And uh, saying that he was the best thing that she's ever had. And at the time, I think he was 70 and she was 28, I want to say at the time. So, um, young enough. Oh, I threw up in my mouth. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, young enough to be his granddaughter, I'm assuming. I mean, that's a pretty good enough stretch of, you know, age there. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not the most sexiest guy in the world either, but I mean, imagine that orange fucking thing on top of you. No, thanks. <laughs> Gab, Gab <laughs> anything to add to that, Gab, uh, from a female perspective? <sighs> He's got all that money, though. I mean, I can see why she did it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't really. <laughs> I don't really care about Trump. I'm more interested in Stormy Daniels. I'm gonna have to look her up after we get off. Yeah, um, see what she looks like. Yeah, she's not that great looking. She's okay looking now. She looks like you know one of those older ladies that you could tell that maybe she was really good looking when she was younger. Um, but the playmate who came out now, the second person, um, she's a little bit more attractive, and well, because she's you know probably twenty years you know her younger uh, in age, so. Um. Yeah, you'll have to look up both of them, and it's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty um, <laughs> not surprising, but surprising. You know what I mean when it comes to this administration. But it's funny because when Stormy Daniels first came out and started talking about this, she actually talked about this on a um a radio station in, that was based in Tampa by the name of Bubba the Love Sponge. And uh, this guy, he's um, you know, one of the uh, legendary pioneers of uh, the shock jock radio scene, and um, you know, he was um, a part of uh, Howard Stern's. Uh, serious radio uh, for many years and before that he was very prolific in what he did and still is uh, very very uh, uh, popular in um, his uh, section of the world and um, when he did an interview with her she didn't obviously say his name because she couldn't at the time because of the NDA the non-disclosure but she did kind of allude to it was him um, she did allude to it happening in Lake Tahoe in 2006 at that time during the interview, which happened maybe about two years later, which which was 2008. So it corroborates the story, corroborates the time, corroborates the location. And um, basically she said it was the best thing that she's ever had. She said that was the best sex that she's ever had in her entire life. And she was dropping names of people like... Other than people like Vince Neal from Motley Crue, she was dropping guys like Dave Navarro, um, Tiger Woods, um, <laughs> all these guys that were like <laughs> 25 to 45 years of age. And then fucking Donald Trump comes in with the steam at 70 years old and fucking just does away with this woman. She's smoking crack, I swear. It's the money. It's all about the money. It's all about the money. It's it's so weird, huh? It's so It's crazy. To see what 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 like what people will do to money. It's not just women; men will do it too. I've seen men, you know, get together with uh, you know women that are like in their seventies and their eighties, you know, and they're like forty or thirty. You know what I mean? To just get their money, but um, it's just amazing what people will do. It's amazing. Jay, do you have anything on your side? I've got a few stories I want to talk about. I'm just trying to please share. I know you're trying to get the uh, the puke out of your mouth. I understand. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's rough. All right. That's what she said. Well, let's... But go ahead. 
<laughs> no, apparently she said it was great. <laughs> no, that's what um, she said. She said it was the best thing she's ever had, supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all the spray paint. It like gets in and makes things harder than I don't. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, keep things a little bit lighter here. Uh, there's a man in Canada who might have to uh, pay an airplane gas bill after a drunken fit caused an emergency landing. I am not fucking drunk. Oh, Did you hear about that one? No, but I like to hear this. Sounds like right out of the like back page redneck handbook right here. What what happened here, Jay? Please fill me in. So Canadian, a Canadian man's uh, erratic drunken behavior is going to cost him $17,450 for extra fuel, landing fees, hotel costs, and overtime for airplane employees as a man's behavior forced pilots to request American military escorts to take him on an emergency return to an airport. He had to get American... They had to get American military support. That's how bad shit got. American military support. Carlabos. Huh? American military support? So, like, they had to yep. get the army involved or, like, whatever? Two, two F-16s. Or F-15s, rather. Carlabos Nasesos, and I'm going to mangle his last name, and that's fine because there's all, nothing but S's, um, who's 40, pled guilty to the charges of assault, mischief, and uttering threats in connection with a Sunwing flight that happened heading uh, from Cuba to Canada, uh, from a uh, Canada to Cuba, rather, on July 6, 2017. The prosecutors have requested that he pay damages and serve three years probation. Uh, what had happened was, I guess he was going through a really bad time. Uh, he got absolutely obliterated, didn't want to be on the flight, didn't want to be on the flight as long as he was on the flight. He started to, uh, as soon as they took off, things got rocky. He started making threats, acting extremely aggressive. And um, according to a lot of the officials, they said the best thing to do would be turn around uh, to go back and land, requiring all 170 passengers to find different accommodations for that night. As the flight was going back, his behavior became so extreme that the the Canadian airline called FAA, which is the uh, U.S. Air Force American Territory pair, uh, they released a pair of F-15 jets from Barnes Air National Guard Base in Massachusetts to make sure they landed safely oh, uh, and then escort the man to uh, who was probably going to be his place for a little while. Well, you know, listen, I wouldn't be in a fucking rush to go back to Cuba either. <laughs> I mean, just saying. I mean, <laughs> have you seen the cars that they have there? It's like from the 1950s. Like, it's n- no joke. Like, it's pretty poor over there. You know, it's... No, it's definitely... It's definitely bad. And, you know, I... I I guess I didn't think about that, but for me, I was like, "Like, dude, a few shots is not worth seventeen grand." No, never. Oh, I am right there with you. But then again, what what is he going back to? He's going back to fucking nineteen fifty seven Chevys, and you know, trying to get rations from the government, and the government only keeping the lights on uh, seventeen hours a day. Because they actually rationed the power out. A lot of people or Americans don't know about that, but they actually rationed the power out in in Cuba. Like they turn off the power for like certain amounts of the hours of the day. Like there's no electricity. Like you're fucked. Like you are. What? Like, yeah, you're like you're you're literally putting fucking like wood in a stove to keep like cooking things going. Like that's how it is in Cuba. A lot of people don't know this. Power is rationed unless you're a hotel. Or, like, a big, like, building. 
you, you, if you live in like a village, your power is rationed 17 hours a day. Not only that, your food is rationed. You only get a certain amount of food rationed to you per month. And people need this food because that's the only way that you can get food. So it's, it's very poor. And a lot of people go over there because of the prostitution. Um, a lot of people go over there for other reasons. But long story short, you know, there's no reason to go back over to that island in a rush. And I'm, you know, listen, I could kind of understand this guy. He probably was like, fuck it. I'm going back to Cuba. I'm getting lit. You know what? I don't want to go back. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And I, I can I can see that. I can fucking see that. You know what I mean? And and that's the thing. You know, a lot of times these stories that we, we see in the news, you don't get the other side of the story. A lot of people don't know how it is in Cuba. You know what I mean? It's 90 miles away from Florida, which we're in you know, the state that, you know, me and Jay live in. And it's they ration the power. Like, it's crazy to even think that it would be possible so close to something that's so close to the United States, but that's what they do. And trust me, there's nobody that's in a rush to go back to Cuba. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's obviously not the way to, you know, uh, I would say go about not yeah. having to go back. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jay. There you go. You eloquently took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, there you go. That's not the way to go about it. But I could see that's why. What I'm here for professional broadcaster. There you go. But again, I can see why the guy did it. I can see why the guy did it. There's no rush to go back to that fucking island. That island, it's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a tropical prison. That's what it is. It's a beautiful prison paradise. That's what it is, unfortunately. And you know that that's uh, that, that's the the world that we live in, and that's one of the last few communist countries left in this world. You know them, North Korea, and you know maybe a few other places in the world. But you know I, I can see but why they, he's not in a rush to go they back. They have the best cocaína. They had the best cigars at the one point, <laughs> but that's actually changing too. Like uh, the cigars is they're not they're not as good as they used to be. So um, a lot of the cigars are now coming out of the Dominican Republic. Um, a lot of people don't know that, but long story short, yeah, I can see why this guy fucking flipped out on the plane and stuff like that. So, well, uh, that's a great article. I want to bring to the next one, and um, I don't know if you guys heard this, but did you hear about these guys? These people they're tweaking off off bug spray, like. Like, I don't know why. What? Yeah, off bug spray. Yeah, the shit that you put on your body. (laughs) The shit that you put on your body to, like, keep the mosquitoes away. Yeah, people are fucking actually spraying this on other stuff, like crack, cocaine, and it changes the chemical compound, supposedly, and it makes it 10 times or 20 times more potent. And um, it's such an interesting thing because you wouldn't think that people would diminish them themselves to smoking bug spray yes yes i would yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah have you not heard the story have you not heard the story about uh ozzy osbourne and tommy lee betting each other who could out party the other doing things like mainlining jack daniels in their testicles and snorting lines of ants i heard about the ants thing i heard about the ants thing when they got off the plane and there was a somebody had dropped a i guess it was a uh, ice cream cone and there was a line of ants going from wherever the ants came from to the ice cream cone and Ozzy Osbourne got off the plane and Motley Crue was on the plane as well and please correct me if I'm wrong telling the story Jay but Ozzy was so fucked up he got off the plane said hey check this shit out took out his fucking um, straw that he uses to uh, snort cocaine with 
and snorts the whole line of ants that are leading up to the to the uh, ice cream. Is that how the fucking story goes, Jay? Yeah. Well, the what what not a lot of people know beforehand is while they were on the plane, they were mainlining Jack Daniels into their nutsack. So what? he was into their nutsack. Bomb. Yeah. Hey, it's Molly Crew and Ozzy Osbourne in the height of the eighties. What do you want? To, I, what do you want? That's why they were wait, so wait, good wait, at what wait, they wait. did, and I, I never why heard now about Ozzy this. is unintelligible and Vince Neil looks like Vince Neil. Yeah, I mainlining into their scrotum. Really? I never heard that yep, part. Yep. Yep. Jack Daniels into their sack, and then as they're getting off the plane, that's when Ozzy was like, "Check this shit out, bro." Where Tommy Lee kind of looked and went, "Yeah, you win." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's not many people that's going to outdo Ozzy Osbourne, I could say. Yeah, people fucking using Offspray to uh, basically get high. And um, here's a... I, I wanted to bring up the local uh, article on this. Hold on one second, okay? I'm going to play a quick clip. Hold on. This is ABC Action News. We want to make you aware of a dangerous new drug trend. Some adults and teenagers are using bug spray to get high. The problem is the household chemical is extremely accessible and it's legal. Heavy-duty bug sprays contain high concentrations of pyrethroids. Users spray... Of course, they show like a, a quick clip of a, like a redneck dude buying like 18 off-spray bottles. I don't know why they do that, but anyways. ...it on other drugs, and then they smoke this toxic concoction, which is known as KD. It can end badly, causing vomiting and leaving a person catatonic, unable to walk, breathe, or speak. So it leaves you to the point where you can't talk, breathe, or speak. Like, I don't know, but I don't want that drug. I mean, that doesn't sound like a fucking good time to me. Yeah, but we're also... No, we're, not at all. We're here in 2018 where people will eat bath salts and then go eat somebody's face. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Gab, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to say, do you remember, like, I think it was a couple years ago when all those kids were, like, shitting in a big bucket and then smelling the fumes to get high? No, I never heard of that. That's that's new to me. I never heard of that. No. Sounds like yeah, it was high. called like Gen Chem or something. What was it called? I think it was called like Gen Chem or something. It was crazy, but like all these kids out in the Midwest, they had nothing better to do, and they were just shitting in like buckets, putting the lid on top, letting the fumes build up, and then opening up the lid and smelling it to get high. Hey Jay, you want to take a shit? I'd rather in this do the bucket? bug spray. <laughs> You want to get you want to listen, take a shit in this bucket? And listen, Will, it? Will, we've been friends for a long time. You're the godfather of my children. Since the I love you grade. dearly. The fourth there grade. There is nothing on this planet that would make me take a big whiff of a shit that you laid in a bucket. Likewise, nope, I'm good. Likewise, I'm out. I'm out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've never heard that. That's some crazy shit. When was this? This was like, oh man, this was a couple of years ago. Really? I yeah. think it like came back again. I, yeah, it was crazy. You know what it is down here in South Florida? It's like, yeah, living here in South Florida, there's so much shit that happens here. And there's so many drugs that come in and out. And there's like the new fad. It's almost like, almost like on a monthly or a quarterly basis. Like there's always the newest thing. Like you, like bath salts and fucking fentanyl and, uh, you know, you name it. It's the next fucking thing that comes out and, and people are getting now off fucking bug spray. Like, you know, now this, I, I've never heard of that. It's just fucking amazing to me. The links that people will go to get fucking high. And, you know, do you, do you think it's maybe, do you think there'd be more people like that in the world? If weed was legal in the, like, across the board or would there be more of those people if legal you know if weed was legal across the board 
I think less. You think less, right? I do. Yeah, I, yeah, I would think less, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. Jay, what do you think? I don't know, because if someone's so desperate to get high off of smelling shit, I don't know if weed's a good enough thing for them. Yeah, that, that's where I believe weed should be legal. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I do. I support it. Go bros. That's, I'm with that. That being said, I don't know if just because weed is illegal, that means that people go do other stupid shit to get high. Because being that high is still a problem. That's, that's still an issue. Yeah. Um, I, think, right. I think really what you're looking at more is people's uh, self-destructive natures and those addictive style of personality. Like, I, I have a friend I, sh- I used to chew pool with. Uh, a great guy. At this point, I want to say he's like 10 years sober. Um, and he did everything. This dude did everything. And when he was getting clean, that's when he found pool, and he threw himself in the pool. He's just got one of those addictive personalities. When we went out to Las Vegas one year to shoot in the National League Ball Tournament, and he was up like $1,300 at a blackjack table. And the dealer looked at him, no lie, stone face, said, this is a good time to, to cash out and walk away. That's a good time to cash but out was, and walk away. When the fucking dealer tells you it's a good time to fucking cash out and walk away, that's God telling you it's time to cash out and walk away. Yep, this dude went from $1,300 up to $500 up before he finally got the hit. Yep, there he goes. And all that happened in about <sighs> 35 minutes. Yep, that's all. Yeah, it takes no, no, not much time. It's that, it's that addictive personality. He was addicted to the moment. He was addicted to winning. He was pushing bigger and bigger stacks. And it's, it's not much farther removed if, if you enjoy the getting high from the weed. I don't, I don't think anybody's really that afraid of it being illegal as much anymore. Um, but if you're so, if you want so bad to get high that you're willing to smell shit, uh, you might have other life problems that you want to look into. Agreed. Agreed. Gab, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I do. You made a good point, Jay. There you go. We all agree. That's awesome. So, uh, that brings me to the last one for me or, you know, Jay, did you have anything else in between? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. No, that's all right. I was going to bring up, uh. Did you hear about the flat earther shooting him his homemade rocket uh, up into space and <laughs> crashing down and damn near killing himself? Did he not kill himself? I thought he killed him. I thought he took a lick. No? No. no. Well, I mean, he ended up having to be hospitalized for three days. Three days? That was it? That was it. Oh, that's, he that's he so suffered bad. some He suffered some minor injuries, but it said that he's glad to be home and spending time with his family. He made it a whopping 1,800 feet. Before crashing back down to Earth. That's not bad. 1,800 feet. That, isn't that like a mile? How much is 1,800 feet? Isn't that a mile? Uh, I don't know. Why, why, why ask me? Like, I know numbers in mathematics because I make one good point about weed. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just thinking. I don't know. I mean, like, how, how you know, 1,800 feet. Is that, isn't that like a mile? I mean, it's 600 yards. Well, I, That's fucking far. <laughs> That's six fucking fit football fields. Yeah, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying not kudos to the dude for his ingenuity. I mean, his launching pad was a, uh, a mobile home that he transformed into a launching pad for his homemade rocket. But, but let's just look. Let's just for a second. There's, a, there's a big Mickey a Minaj butt in this one. Go ahead. Let's take a step back and think to ourselves, hmm. 
what happens if I actually make it into the upper orbit and then gravity <laughs> takes place and you die where you can't tell anybody that the earth was round or flat. Right. Yeah. So, get, I get, get it. Good ways. Congrats off some junkyard scrap. Listen, he does prove American ingenuity. That's fucking American. Listen, when I but, saw the story, when I, I saw the story that he was using steam pressure to get up into fucking atmosphere, I was like, okay, um, steam pressure was like back in like the 1700s, like when we use like um, uh, locomotives and shit like that. Um, I think we need to think about using something a little bit more potent than steam if you're looking to figure out if the world is flat or if it's round. That's just me thinking. I don't know. Well, couldn't you just as easily take a weather balloon and a GoPro? I mean, it yes, had you could. It cost him twenty thousand dollars. It cost him twenty thousand dollars to make this whole thing. Uh, he had to get special permission from the government to shoot it off in a certain area, so that way it was going over anybody, any area populated. Couldn't you, for less than twenty thousand dollars, and possibly life risking? Send a GoPro into the atmosphere. Yeah, what does a weather balloon cost? Maybe at most a thousand, five thousand. Let's just be generous. Um, GoPro, a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. Right? What I'm saying. I mean, That's what I'm saying. There's, yeah. there's got to be easier ways without damn near killing yourself <laughs> to see if the Earth is flat. Yeah. I mean, I, I again applaud his gusto. I support. His uh, craftsmanship, and I'm super proud that he took his plan as far as he did. That being said, I severely suggest that this dude rethink how he's going to do it next time because he's obviously smart enough to come up with a better way than that. Yeah, I agree. And uh, Gab, have you heard about this whole like flatter theory thing, like debate? Has this crossed your like uh, uh, you know uh, radar at all? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's just crazy to think that these people will, like, go to these lengths to try to prove something that mm, we kind of know already. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, you know, be the spoiler alert guy, but um, I think the world is fucking round. You know? You know? The government's watching bro. They're in bed with the... Globe makers, bro. The round earthers. <laughs> what were you saying, Gav? Yeah? <laughs> 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 Fucking people. Oh, I get it. It's unbelievable. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I heard about that crazy son of a bitch trying to figure this shit out. And I was like, Steam. I was like, first off, your fucking plan was failed to begin with. Using fucking Steam. Come on. What the fuck, man? Really? Come into the 21st century. Use use something. Use fucking, like, I don't know, something explosive. You're going to use steam? Really? Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. So anyways, uh, great story, though. Yeah, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So uh, I don't know what the fuck that guy was thinking. <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, uh, last thing on the list is um, airline crewmen tried to sneak nine pounds of cocaine into the U.S. From what airline do you ask from? Wow. Air Jamaica, man. Of course. Where else? Where you tried to smuggle nine pounds of cocaine on you like an Iron Man suit? 
Nine pounds of fucking cocaine. Like, you weren't going to get fucking spotted with nine pounds of cocaine in an Iron Man suit that was trying to be like an exoskeleton suit of yourself. Like, you weren't going to get caught. Really? He thought it was John DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> a Jamaican version of John DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking, yeah. Great job, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Good job. But yeah. So this guy called uh, Hugh Hall, that's this guy's name, a resident of Jamaica, was flying into New York on St. Patrick Day when he was caught with secret stash, which wasn't so secret, obviously, worth approximately $160,000 on the street, according to Customs and Border Protection uh, agents. And um, the official said he was coming in from Montego Bay. After landing at JFK, Hall uh, exited the plane and presented himself at the expansion, uh, excuse me, inspection at customs. And the agents apparently noticed that the drugs and uh, called backup, uh, prompting a full body search. This guy, I mean, guys, I'm telling you, this was not a way to hide nine pounds of cocaine. He basically made a suit of himself that made him look huge. It looked like he had like fucking like two people on top of him. So it, it didn't even look right. Four packages, all filled with cocaine, were allegedly found taped to Hall's thighs, calves, and arms. And he was arrested um, for the importation of of a controlled substance and turned over to Homeland Security. The seizure is another example of our CBD, or CBP, excuse me, officers being vigilant in protecting the United States from the distribution of illicit drugs, said Leon Hayward, uh, acting director of the CBP's New York field operations. So... Uh, looks like uh, homeboy got caught up in a uh, little bit of a cocaine scheme here, guys, from Jamaica. I wonder how Shutter. high he was. I wonder if he sprayed, like, bug spray on his drugs. Maybe he did. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Look at you're tying two stories in together. Listen, I didn't even think about that. He, he might have <laughs> did some bug spray before he got on the plane to come up with that idea, I think, really, honestly. Well, the question is, What's the market for cocaine really going to be once people realize they can buy off at Walmart? You took the words right out of my mouth, Jay. Mm-hmm. There you go. The white trash side of me said it tingled. It just tingled when you said that. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for, <laughs> to make really good points about nonsensical shit. That's my wheel Awesome, awesome. All right, well, that's my last one. Anything else, Jay? Anything for you to add on to that? No, I think I think we've covered quite enough uh stupidity and frivolity for tonight <laughs> awesome 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 okay well listen that's the uh end of the intro uh we'll be heading into the horror uh, movie and review section here with gab here in a minute so just guys uh stick around and stay tuned all right guys thanks for Joining in the Dark Fringe Radio, and we're headed now into the horror movie and review section of the podcast. And, of course, Gab, how are you? Yes, I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, This is the third week in a row we've had you on, and you've done such an excellent job. And um, we wanted to bring you on this week for another review. And um, what's the movie you're going to be reviewing for us this week? I got a chance to watch Insidious, The Last Key. The Last Key. I watched it yesterday. Yeah, that's a great series. I mean, I've, I've been a, a big fan of the Insidious series for a long time. Ever since the first one came in, I thought the first one was unbelievable. Uh, that first one was just so good. Uh, I think the same guy who plays Ed Warren in The Conjuring played the main guy in the first one. 
did such a great job. The kid was so creepy. Tell me about this new one, please. Fill me in. Well, it's the fourth installment in the Insidious franchise, and you know what? It's it was really good. I'll, I'll give it to them. Most of the time, like with fourth installments in any franchise, I feel like they start to lose steam a little bit. But that wasn't the case with the last key. The Insidious franchise is still going strong. Um, basically, the pop the plot follows uh, Elise Rainier, who's played by the amazing Lynn Shay. I love her so much. She's so amazing. And uh, she gets a call from a man who's claiming that his house is haunted. But here's the kicker. The house that's haunted is the same house that Elise grew up in as a kid. So the movie is about Elise returning to her childhood home um, to confront and destroy the demon that she accidentally set free as a kid. Ooh, so cool. it's pretty good. Um, there were a couple of things I didn't like about the movie. Please uh, tell me. You know, I felt like it started out really strong. It was really good. Um, but then it kind of like lost its luster towards the end. I kind of felt like it was a little bit rushed, a little bit sloppy. Um, it really wasn't scary. I mean, it had tons of jump scares in it, like any insidious, um, insidious movie. But it wasn't, um, I don't know, it wasn't all that. The things I really liked about the movie, though, was that they give you a backstory to Elise's background. Yeah, that's... And you come to find out that she was really abused as a kid. Like, her dad didn't believe in ghosts. He didn't believe in, like, her abilities. So every time she would bring that up, you know, they would show how he would, like, beat her and chain her up in the basement. Um, you get to find out about her mom's death in this one, which is really cool. And the thing that I really liked was, like, the ending begins with the very first Insidious. Oh, so really? it kind of makes like a full circle. Oh, it was really good. So now they, they and they, another thing they. Well, I just wanted to jump in here real quick. They so they moved away from the main characters from the first, I think, couple of them, which was the the father and son that had that whole situation going where the kid was haunted, and then it ended up being the dad. Um, so they moved away from all that. And now they're concentrating on the lady who actually um, investigated that. That's Elise, correct? Right, it's Elise. Gotcha, okay. So now this is like her beginning. Gotcha. Yeah, this is like what really started it, like her as a kid and her story. Yeah. And then towards the end, as she's kind of like going through her story, she kind of like walks into Dalton, the kid from the first movie. Oh, yeah. She kind of walks into his story. So, yeah, they tie it back around. It ends with the beginning of the first Insidious. Wow, awesome. So it's so it's a, pretty good. Do you think they're going to come out with another one on, on top of this? Or do you, th- you think they, they've kind of tied this storyline uh, with Elise up? And may, did they open up maybe another storyline in, 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 the, in the movie at all or no? It's funny you ask that because they did. They introduced a new character. Um, her name was Imogen Rainier. And she plays Elise's niece. And she's inherited some of her aunt's abilities. So she can go into the further... You know, she's kind of like a medium. So if you follow the Insidious series, you know that Elise dies in Chapter 2. So by them bringing in her niece, it allows them to move forward with the whole Insidious franchise. Makes sense. And I did get word that there's a new, there's going to be another one in the making. Oh, so they're already working on on another one, huh? They are working on another one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like out of 1 to 10... I'd give this movie like a strong seven. 
you know, if you're a fan of the Insidious franchise, I think you'll really enjoy it. I personally liked it better than the third one. But uh, if you weren't really on board, I'd say skip it because this is definitely not the movie that's going to change your mind. Yeah, I get you. I get you. So, like, if you followed the storyline, you would love it. But if you haven't followed the storyline and you're watching this for the first time, uh, you know, Virgin Eyes, you know, this is not the movie to watch, obviously. Not the movie to watch. Nope. Gotcha. Just skip it. Gotcha. All right. Well, cool. Well, I mean, it's cool to know that they, um, you know, they moved the the storyline uh, from the first two characters onto Elise, and then now it looks like they've moved on to, you know, her. Who was that again? Who was her niece, you said? It was her niece, her yeah. Niece. Imogen Rainier. Gotcha, gotcha. So I think that's where they're going to go. Yeah, yep. it sounds like it. So that's cool that they they were able to continue the storyline. And it kind of reminds me of the, the Conjuring storyline with, um, of course, the same director, James Wan, where, you know, they've moved the uh, the whole idea of the conjuring series away from the doll and now more towards the the nun so yeah i kind of see the parallels in both of those now i I know that there's a nun movie coming out correct from james wan uh that kind of ties in the nun uh goes from the uh, conjuring series is that correct it is yes yeah so listen i mean this guy's amazing james wan i mean he's probably one of the the best horror movie directors of our time you know just with these movies that he's come out with uh in the last you know five to six years just amazing stuff that he's done so i just hope it doesn't fall flat like i really love the whole insidious franchise and i'm kind of scared that if they keep putting movies out it's just going to get bad you know i don't want to see like another um halloween resurrection or like freddy's revenge because i feel like that's where it's going to end up or like jason uh goes to space jason x or something like that I didn't even watch it. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you you can only push me so far. Like, yeah, the Hollywood Resurrection one, you made a great point on, on, on a post that you made earlier today um, by just the look on him alone was just atrocious. Like, what were they thinking on that? It was pitiful. What were they I thinking? I know. He's like not even scary. It's like he's sad and emo looking or something. I don't know. <laughs> Jay, this version of michael myers looked like a soccer mom version of michael myers like he went and got his eyebrows did and got them penciled in and like got everything nice and neat and it was just like really weird it didn't make sense to me well you know what it probably was that everybody everybody now knows that the michael myers mask was really just a mask of william shatner all bleached out so what probably happened was good old captain kirk told the directors and producers that if you don't make me look better, I will do your ass. In his uh, typical Captain Kirk fashion. Yeah, Mr. (laughs) (laughs) William Shatner. Yes, of course. Uh, Yeah, I've never thought about that. But yeah, that makes perfect sense. And um, maybe that was the case. Who knows? But yeah, I I agree with you, Gab. Just we don't want to see that. You know, we don't want to see another uh, version of that. But um, a great review. So you said about uh, a seven out of ten, correct? I'd give it a strong seven. Yeah, strong seven. Okay. Well, cool. Well, listen, that's a that's a great uh, review on Insidious uh, Four, and uh, we uh, we're really looking forward to your next one for next week. And um, thank you so much for um, having your uh, you know segment of the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Awesome. So listen, guys, that uh, brings us uh, to the uh, main topic of tonight, which is urban legends and entertainment. And we'll be jumping into all that here in just a second. Just stay tuned. This is Robert Sullivan, author of The Royal Arch of Enoch, Cinema Symbolism, and Pact with the Devil, and you are listening to Dark Fringe Radio. Alright guys, welcome back, and we're going to jump head first into this Urban Legends in Entertainment. Jay brought this one up. Uh, this was uh, all Jay's suggestion, and I ran with it straight head nose right through, and I, I thought this was a great idea. Jay, who do you have on your list? I, I wanted to see if you, you could start off first. I know we kind of talked about me starting off first, but if you could, please take the honors and start this off. No, I absolutely can, and, and it, I got this idea from uh, the, first, the first one I'm going to bring up, which was there was a song by the Ohio Players in 1975 called Love Roller Coaster. It was eventually redone by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and featured in that classic Americana movie, Beavis and Butthead Do America. Uh, in it, about two and a half minutes in, you hear a blood-curdling scream uh, from a woman. Now, if you're not really listening or paying attention, one might just think that it's just a woman on a roller coaster screaming. The whole theme of the song is all about how uh, the tales of love can have ups and downs and twists and turns uh, but there have been four major urban legends that have come off just this one song and just this one little two second clip of screaming. Some are ridiculous like uh, at one point one of the band members said it must have been the sound of a rabbit outside the studio being killed and it got picked up by the sense of sound equipment and some of them are a little bit more dastardly. Mm. Uh, the, the biggest one that everybody knows is that the band manager was stabbing a woman to death. Actually, the, one of the, the myths is that he's stabbing the model of the woman who was on the cover of this particular CD in the studio while they were recording, and it's actually her screaming for her life. Um, those are just two of the, the big four that have come off this, but it's such, it's, it gives you such glamorous food for thought. Was somebody really in the background screaming? Was it just, uh, was it a rabbit? Who knows? Yeah. The, the members of the Ohio players um, have sworn themselves to silence and they will never answer that question. And my guess is because if they answer it, we find out nothing's really going on, then we're not going to talk about the Ohio players from 1975. Yep. Or if we get the real answer, maybe we find out that somebody was killed in the background. Distinct possibility. Um, one of the ones, the ones I honestly think it was because the um, the woman that was on the cover of their their 1975 hit uh, "Honey," 
she's still alive and well. Oh, so she's alive still. So she's alive. So ah. she's doing good. She does some writing and and uh, things of that nature. So she's good. But what um, the one I think it is is they say that they somehow got um, an audio track of a woman who actually did die on an Ohio-based roller coaster. And that was actually her screaming to her doom. I mean, when you hear the scream, it doesn't just sound like a scream on a roller coaster, which is why you can understand that everybody's trying to figure out where the scream came from, what was going on with it. It definitely leads itself to all kinds of urban myth, um, especially with the band not talking about it. And that allows us to to kind of conjure up any idea we want. Uh, But that's the one that, to me, sounds most interesting. That's the one I think would be the, the most entertaining. If that's what it was, they actually got the audio and sampled it into their music. Um, they also had to remember it was 1975 and that was, that was like scream queen time. You, you had Jamie Lee Curtis, you had all those slasher chicks. There's a lot of people available to do some great blood curving screams. Let's I just to, like to think it came from somebody on a roller coaster. Let's go to the tape and let's see if we can hear this for ourselves. Hold on one second. Yeah. What part is it at, Jay, again? Two minutes and 30 seconds. Here he goes. There it is. Very faint in the background, but you hear a woman screaming in the background. You heard that? Oh, I definitely heard it. Yeah, I mean, I've heard this urban legend for a number of years, and um, I, I just don't know. It, it's it's one of the you know prolific urban legends of all of music. Uh, nobody knows the answers to this question, unfortunately. No, but I can tell you that um, supposedly it was a woman who fell to her death on the Blue Streak roller coaster in Cedar Point Amusement Park, Ohio. Somehow the uh, producer of the song got that put it on without telling the band once the band found out they've actually sworn that they would never play the song again really hmm, interesting. they don't play it live nope so they don't play it live at all nope interesting very interesting okay well that's a great uh, urban luncheon in the, the uh, music genre of course and um i wanted to bring it over to gab gab um i know we spoke about this whole the topic and i i know you suggested the poltergeist movie because there is a huge urban legend behind the poltergeist movie is that correct there is. It's probably one of the most cursed franchises in Hollywood, I think. Mm, please tell me more. Well, the actors and the actresses, they all kind of seem to die. Not all of them, but there's quite a number of them that ended up dying. And there's been several reports of hauntings. Um, so basically, you know, the movie is about like the Freeling family They kind of move into a new home and like this new development, strange things start to happen. And then in the movie, there's these heavy rains that reveal skeletons buried beneath their home. And they find out that these cheap ass real estate developers built the home on top of a cemetery Mm. and they didn't tell anyone. So these corpses never really got a final resting place. Um, And the dead basically decide to seek revenge on the family. So kind of like, 
how the real estate developers didn't tell, you know, the homeowners that they built their land or they built their homes on the cemetery. Uh, Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper didn't tell their actors that they used real skeletons in the movie. I heard they weren't it. just like fake props. Yeah, I heard about that, especially in that scene where um, the mother ends up in the pool that they're digging out. Like it's a pre like a prefab <laughs> pool. And so they just only dug out the, the, the hole. They haven't put any like concrete in at that point. And it, it's during the scene where it's like raining extremely hard and she falls into the pool. And that's when the, the skeletons pop out and they used real skeletons. Is that right? You were, you're saying? Yeah, they use like real skeletons. They came from, I guess, people in India. They had got them from like the Carolina Bi- uh, Biological Medical Science and Supply Company. <laughs> so it kind of makes you wonder, you know, because they use like these real skeletons, maybe there really is a curse because you would think these people didn't really get a final, you know, resting place. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. Yeah, but like months after the release of the first film, the one actress, uh, Dominique Dune, she plays the older sister, Dana. She ends up being murdered. Like, she was brutally strangled in her own driveway by an abusive ex-boyfriend. No way. Um, so, yeah, she yeah she died. And then there was this uh, real-life shaman who, uh, he was played by Native American actor Will Sampson. He was in the first one. He was in the second one. Yeah. And he actually did like a real life exorcism on the set while they were filming the second one because they really believed in this curse. And supposedly like after he did the whole exorcism, the cast said that they felt relieved. Like they could just feel like it felt so much better while they were filming. Amazing. No, I was going to say, I mean, you had like more cast members die. Um, the girl, that played Carol Ann, like, they're here type girl. Yeah, she died when she was 12. Yeah, I knew she's Like, died. during the filming of the third movie. That's creepy. And what did she die from? I mean, what was the cause of death? They, uh, they ended up rushing her to the ER in the middle of the shooting um, of the third film. She died in the middle of surgery, and they said that she died of cardiac arrest and septic shock that was brought on by, like, some misdiagnosed intestinal issue that she had. But it was just kind of weird, like... That's crazy. She died at 12? She died at 12, yeah. Like, right right at the end while they were filming it. Yeah, and is Craig T. Nelson still alive? That's the father who, you know, who played the father. Is he still alive? I think he's, like, one of the few that's still alive, right? He's still alive, and the brother is still alive. Um, do you remember, like, the creepy clown yeah. from the first one? Come on, please. Are you serious? That's so like one of the reasons that, why I hate clowns. <laughs> that uh, clown, it actually malfunctioned and actually strangled him during the, the filming of the first movie. In fact, Get it almost, like, killed him. Get the fuck the out of here. They thought he was just acting, like, really good acting, but that clown malfunctioned and strangled him. That's not That's not happening with me I'm sorry I, I just can't No no no, no. That, that clown was creepy enough Yeah that clown was scary Yeah no 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 So the clown malfunctioned And really tried to strangle the shit out of the kid Caroline died The sister died The mom Did the mom die? No, but the mom said that while they were filming the first movie, she would return home every night and she would find like all of the pictures in her house had all been tilted. 
Like something was like coming into her home and tilting the picture, she said. Like taunting her, basically. That was creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fucked up. No. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, I've heard of many years about this uh, this uh, urban legend about this movie, and um, I thought, you know, this was a, a great, you know, film to talk about, you know, during this because there's so many things that's happened on this film. It's crazy. Just crazy to think about. And it still continues to happen because they just remade that movie, I think, in 2015. And the director, um, oh, what was his name? Gil Keenan. He'd actually hoped that when he remade the movie that he would actually kind of like reboot the curse with it. And he got his wish because there were reports of like equipment failure on set. Um, The house that he rented for the film was actually haunted by a female spirit dressed in black. So she haunted the cast. Oh, great. Yeah, that's exactly what you need. You need a real fucking female spirit to just, you know, get things, you know, started off with a good kick. Mm hmm. I think the most bizarre one was um, author James Kahn. It was his job to, like, write the novel based on the first movie. And he said that when he finished the novel, there was, like, this freak lightning bolt that, I guess, struck the building that he was in. And he said that the facing on the AC unit actually blew off, flew across the room, and it hit him in the back. And then all the lights started flickering on and off, and then all the video games in the room started playing themselves. That sounds like a poltergeist in there. That sounds like a poltergeist, if you ask me. You know, we there's smoke, there's fire. That, that's all I have to say. And, you know, there's been so many accounts of things happening uh, with that film and that series. It's just unbelievable to me. So what a great pick uh, to talk about for tonight and very poignant. And, uh, yeah, a great, a great uh, film to talk about when it comes to urban legends and uh, entertainment. So a great pick, Gap. I, I appreciate that. So the next one I want to kind of jump into and talk about. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but there's been a long-standing urban legend of Paul McCartney actually dying in 1966, being replaced by another person who plays played him for the continuing years after up until this day. Paul McCartney supposedly never wrote Maybe I'm Amazed, and he never formed the band Wings. He never clashed with Yoko and became a vegetarian or fathered any of his children. When Queen Elizabeth knighted him in 1997, she was actually knighting someone else. Um, This is because the conspiracy-minded Beatlemaniacs say that Paul McCartney secretly died in 1966. But there's a lot of good, you know, backstory to all this that kind of maybe points to this actually being true. Now, um, theorists claim that other Beatles covered up his death, hiring someone who looked like him, sang like him, and uh, had the same jovial personality. Uh, But the guilt eventually got to them, and uh, they began hiding clues in their music, supposedly. Um, And supposedly in the song Tax Man, George Harrison gave his advice for those uh, who die. Uh, Meaning, Paul said, The entire Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band album was a wash with Paul is Dead Clues. Uh, the Beatles had formed a new band, quote-unquote, featuring a fictional character named Billy Shares, uh, supposedly the name of Paul's replacement. Uh, the album contained John Lennon's Day in the Life, uh, quote-unquote, uh, which he had the lyrics, he blew his mind out in a car, quote-unquote, and uh, he recorded the phrase, Paul is dead, miss him, miss him, which becomes evident only when the song is played backward. So there's all these clues um, in that album, the Sgt. Pepper album. Uh, Lennon also mumbled, I buried Paul 
at the end of the Strawberry Fields Forever interview that uh, he had. And the phrase was actually cranberry sauce and denied the existence of any backward messages. So forward message, like if you listen to it, it would say cranberry sauce. But if you listen to it backwards, it said I bury Paul. So, you know, there's some of these, uh, you know, conspiracy theorists that think that Paul McCartney died in 1966. And believers also think that the Beatles accompanied uh, these uh, backward tape loops and uh, veiled references to death uh, with album covers as well that illustrated the loss of their friend. Now, what do I mean by that is this. The original cover of the 1966 Yesterday and Today album uh, featured the Beatles poised amid raw meat and dismembered doll parts, uh, symbolizing McCartney's gruesome accident. And if uh, fans placed a mirror on the front of the Sgt. Pepper album cover, the words Lonely Hearts on a Drum logo could be read as 1-X-He-Die-1. And that's what it says. And, of course, um, there's the Abbey Road cover, uh, which uh, John, George, and Ringo, you know, forwent all the pretenses and pretended to cross the street uh, as a funeral procession. And John wore all white, like a clergyman. Ringo, the mourner, dressed in black, and George donned the jeans like a gravedigger. So Paul wore no shoes. Um, He didn't need them because he was dead. And he walked out uh, of step with the uh, the others. And if Paul was dead, um, his imposter is still at large because this guy still shows up in, you know, concerts and, uh, you know, uh, you know, gatherings and so, you know, cons- and things like that. You know, anytime they want to honor, you know, Paul McCartney with an award, you know, he has to show up. Obviously, so uh, it's just an uh, ongoing conspiracy theory of Paul McCartney actually dying in 1966. What do you guys think about that? I've never heard this before. Yeah, this is a long-standing conspiracy theory. There's all these clues, especially the Sgt. Pepper album, the the Yellow Submarine album, which I'm not sure if that's the name of the album, but whatever the fuck that album, that song, that album's on, um, there's clues on that, um, that he died in 1966. There's all these um, supposed medical uh, records showing that the uh, facial composition of, of this person was different prior to 1966 than post-1966. So, um, yeah, they they said that all these... There's all these clues that are pointing to Paul McCartney actually dying at that time. And, um, you know, we're dealing with a guy that's an imposter for the last 40-plus years. Yeah, that's crazy. Very crazy. And, uh, you know, again, if the imposter's still at large, you know... He uh, met Linda Eastman, who he had four children with, before losing her to breast cancer in 1988. Everybody remembers that. Uh, He released a live album in 1993 called Paul is Live and uh, produced more than 20 solo albums after that. And um, not even counting the ones that he released by Wings when he joined Wings during that time. Um, And then, of course, he endured a horrible divorce um, from Heather Mills, the lady with the fake leg, the peg leg lady, uh, which uh, made him, he wished that he was probably dead at that point, or at least, uh, you know, was another person. But, uh, yeah, a very strong conspiracy theory, uh, because even the, the Beatles' music changed after 1966. You know, they went from this kind of like boy band sounding everyday Americana type band, even though they came from England. And then they started getting into kind of like Indian music and uh, uh, just all different types of music using sitars and uh, using all different kinds of uh, 
very uh, exotic type of instrumentation. So you know their their sound changed as well. Does that have you know? Does is that the 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 nail in the coffin saying that that's the definite reason or you know proof that Paul McCartney died in 1966? I don't know, but it does point. A lot of these things do point to that. Or they were just yoked up on acid. Could be that uh, that uh, yellow sunshine acid. I heard that was the best back in the sixties. So have you have you ever seen the movie Walk Hard? Yeah, of course. One of my all time favorite movie scenes in any movie ever was when um, John C. Riley's character Dewey Cox is in India doing acid with the Beatles, and one of the Beatles is Paul Rudd and Jack Black. Paul Rudd is um, Paul McCartney and Jack Black is uh, John Lennon. And one of the one of the times Paul McCartney goes to do like one of his homes, and he's like, "No, no, it was John Lennon." He's like, "Um, Paul's big cock," <laughs> and then they start like fist fighting. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, well, that's uh, that's my last one for or my first one for tonight. Uh, Jay, what's uh, what's your last one for the night? Actually, it almost involves. It kind of involves Paul McCartney. Oh, interesting. Please. So, there's a conspiracy or urban legend or however you want to say it, wondering if Stevie Wonder is actually blind. Now, of course, you guys know Stevie Wonder uh, from many hits like Superstition or. I just called only me, bro. And it reminds so me of the stand-up thought- that Eddie Murphy did in Delirious where he was talking about Stevie Wonder, and he's like, I'm not impressed by you, motherfucker. He's like, if you want to impress me, take the motherfucking wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. So there's been a lot of rumors or, or questions as to if Stevie Wonder is actually blind. And this comes from there's a few things. First off, he has a lot of lyrics that describe colors. Like one of them, he says, is, uh, it's, it's like a uh, peach dream. Uh, he wouldn't, if he was actually blind, he wouldn't know the color, what the color peach is. Uh, mm. He was born um, Steveland, Hardaway, Morris, uh, back in May 13th of 1950 uh, in the humble and quaint town of Saginaw, Michigan. So, uh, Shortly after he was he was born, he was rendered blind because he was born six weeks premature, and then that mixed with the oxygen-rich atmosphere of the hospital incubator that he had to be placed in uh, resulted in retinotopy. It's ROP. Look up what, what ROP is, and you can explain it. There's words in there I just can't say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a condition where the eyes, they, they stop growing, they become aborted, and eventually they become detached and die. So that's supposedly what had happened to Stevie Wonder, but there's a lot of videos on uh, on YouTube. You can look them up. And one of the very first ones you'll find is um, Stevie Wonder is on a stage performing, and Paul McCartney is running by him to, to to take over his part. He hits the mic stand on his way by, and Stevie reaches out and catches it. That motherfucker ain't blind. That motherfucker ain't blind. <laughs> There's another. He was he was on Oprah, uh, and he came out to surprise this guest, who was singing uh, one of his one of his major hits. And what happens is he gets this guy gets close enough 
to Stevie Wonder, and Stevie Wonder, without being propped, without anybody reaching for him, he reaches over, grabs the guy, and pulls him in for a big hug. Damn. How would he know the guy was there? No way. Either that or he has, like, that and, da- that daredevil sense. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe he is the daredevil. Maybe he's the black daredevil. I, I didn't think about that. See? I didn't think about that. He's the black devil. No, wait, no, wait. That sounds wrong. I just said it. You said the black I devil. I didn't though. think about what he's I was, the black daredevil. The, thank you for elaborating <laughs> farther. Uh, he's not the black devil. Christ, let yeah. me apologize. <laughs> We're going to get a fucking phone call from the NAACP. You called us the Black Devil. Well, theoretically, <laughs> I only called him. The and bl- I said, duh, not ah. <laughs> and and I was more referencing Daredevil trying to come up with something quick and witty at 11 o'clock at night after I put in a 10-hour work shift uh, doing go. what I do for a living. So, And I'm hopped up on medication because I have a bit of a cold on fighting. There you go. And all these things are absolutely... Valid reasons to why I just spoke stupidly. <laughs> it's like the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle of just bad shit could happen, right? <laughs> but no, no, no. That's a, it's a great story. And it's it's something that a lot of people still debate to this day. A lot of people still think that this guy may be not blind. Or not as blind as he you know may portray himself out to be. So it's a it's a very you know polarizing subject in that industry. A lot of people still talk about it, and a lot of people say that he may not be blind. But then again, I say, of a person who's been blind his entire life, maybe he's learned to use his extrasensory you know maybe powers to you know are able to like sense people that are close to you and and you know just by using sound. You know you've heard of that guy that's out there that he uses like these clicking noises to find out how far things are from him. He uses like this version of sonar and echo you know by clicking and he can click by using his mouth and goes like literally like that and then he can literally figure out what the fuck's in front of him like you know it's amazing and um you know the guy's young too so yeah i've heard i've i've heard that but on the flip side there's also a story that was reported of um him and boy george were at a party and out of nowhere he came up behind board boy george <laughs> and gave him like a big bear hug. Uh, oh, I you were now, how would he else. know that it was Boy George? How would, he, how would he know to walk over and do it? And there was nobody accompanying him. Yeah, could be, could be. Listen, it's either that or the dude is super like in tune with the senses. It could be that. It really could be. But it's a great question. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Is he blind? What do you think, Jay? Stevie Wonder. I don't think he's blind. You don't think he's blind? I don't think he has. I don't think he has a full sense of sight, but I don't think he's as blind as he's made himself out to be. Um, and the reason why I think that he's made himself out to be more blind than he actually is is because, well, first off, if you look at his predecessor, Ray Charles, Ray Charles was blind as a motherfucker and could play the piano like nobody's business. So Stevie Wonder saw that he could kind of take that, adjust it. He doesn't have great sight. And the fact that he can play every instrument the way he does um, even if he had sight, it would be nothing short of fucking a miracle. But what separates him from other great musicians who have not been able to make themselves into a Stevie Wonder, if you will? Yeah. So that was, he's like, all right, I can't really see well. Uh, I see a lot of blurs. But if I'm blind, okay then. That's, yeah, that's the payoff. Okay then. That's the payoff. That's just my opinion. Yeah, hey, no, that's, that's a great opinion. And it's a great story. It's something that's still debated to this day. A lot of people still think that. 
he may not be as blind as he claims to be. So great story there, Jay. And uh, the last one for me and that I wanted to bring up for tonight was a film that I suggested to Gab about a week ago. And um, I, I talked to her and we were talking about films that are you know cursed or have like a lot of uh, interesting backstory behind them. But there was one film that I suggested her called Fury of the Demon. I'm not sure you've probably not heard this, Jay. But um, it's a film that was um, made in the late 1800s. It's a French film. And it's a stuff of legend because a lot of people have claimed that this legendary film, it's, it's rumored to actually cause the audience to go insane. And um, at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, there was a, um, a documentary called La Rage du Dumont. Uh, also known as Fury of the Demon. And it's uh, about an original film, The Legend and the Possible Filmmaker, and the alleged resurfacing of the cursed movie. And um, in 1897, France, uh, many people were beginning to play around with the possibilities of film and special effects and stuff like that. Uh, But none were as well known as the prolific George Mills. And he was kind of like the guy who kind of like started with the whole, uh, you know, uh, special effects kind of thing in that area. Uh, but most film fans uh, most know him from the iconic film uh, Trip to the Moon, where they shows the picture of like the moon with the face on it, and then all of a sudden it looks like a uh, a rocket goes into the eye of the moon or the face and the eye that's uh, in the um in the in the moon. Um, so you see that animation from like the late 1800s, and that's what this guy is known from. And the thing is, is that this film came out, and he was listed as the creator. This guy Meals. Um, but many think there was actually a forgery crafted by one of the uh, Meals pupils, a person by obsessed uh, with magic and the occult named Sicarius. And uh, regardless, basically, in 1897, the short screened once reportedly caused the audience to go absolutely insane. Uh, the film went missing after that. And then fast forward to 1939, Todd Browning, the guy who made Freaks and, of course, Dracula, the original one, uh, released a feature called Miracles for Sale. And when the film screened in New York City, Fury of the Demon played beforehand for some reason. I don't know how that fucking happened. But this movie that's been missing for literally like 40 years ends up playing before this movie. Uh, supposedly the screening of the short caused the audience to erupt in mass hysteria. Uh, people ripped their hair out, fought fellow audience members. It was a bloody, vicious scene. Uh, eventually a fire broke out. Six people died in the theater. Um, so this documentary interviewed some of the you know audience members from the 1939 screening who recall the actual madness um, firsthand. And the focal point of the documentary was um, rather a uh, reclusive rare film collector by the name of Edgar Allan Wallace who supposedly found a copy of the film and screened it in 2012 for a very small group of French uh, film scholars and critics. And once again, in 2012, the same fucking thing happened. Violence broke out and uh, the film went missing. The documentary examines the uh, most recent screening, as well as giving the close examination of Meal's life work, uh, his mysterious pupil, Sicarius, and also the the power of this film. So, you know, you have this film that uh, came out in the late 1800s in France that just really caused all these people to go absolutely insane, supposedly. The film goes missing twice. It ends up popping up again in 2012. The same shit happens again. So I really don't know what the fuck's happening with this film. But again, something is going on. This thing keeps popping up and coming, you know, and dropping off and and disappearing and then reappearing. People keep talking about this as being one of the most cursed movies of all time. 
That's fucking crazy. I want to find this movie. The, the three times, the three times that it, this movie has been viewed by public, the public has gone into like mass hysteria. Mass hysteria, like crazy. And yeah, I'm with you, oh. Gab. I mean, I want to find this movie too, but I don't know. Do I want to watch it? <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things. It's like, no, thank you. I'll watch it. <laughs> thank you. I'm out. Gab, no, thank I, you. I know Gab will watch it. <laughs> If anybody, if any, I'll watch it. Oh, I know you will. If, if there's any one of us three that'll watch it, it's going to be Gab. I can tell you that right now. I wonder if I can find it like on the deep web somewhere. It's got to be out there. Dark, the dark deep web. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. I mean, especially in this day and age where everything is possible. You know, all this information's out there. It's got to be somewhere, and especially since it was screened in 2012, somebody has to have a a, a screening of this somewhere. It's a very interesting. Uh, topic, uh, you know, this movie is just unbelievably, um, you know, kind of come in and out of the the fabric of uh, of the movie genre. And again, a lot of people just don't know about this and don't talk about this because, again, these things disappear and people don't talk about it. Yeah, because nobody wants to. You have to be a brave soul, and Gab, I give you, uh, I give you my 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 respect because I'm too much of a vagina to watch it. <laughs> all right well listen that's uh that's the last one for me uh jay do you have anything else no that was it for my uh my urban legends of entertainment let's move into the last uh, couple uh segments for the uh, podcast jay and uh this is all you so let's go to what to watch what do you have for this week what to watch is gonna be forged in fire uh it is a great show on history channel um I just kind of found it by accident the other day, and I have been almost, almost like a teenager with a can of off, addicted to. Oh shit! <laughs> like I, I woke up tweaking. Monday night at like three in the morning tweaking because I've had this head cold that just kick. It's kicking my ass. It's head cold, so I can't sleep. I, I feel bad for my poor wife. I get out of bed. I go to the living room. And I binge watch three hours of this show, Forged in Fire on the History Channel. And what they do is they start off the show with these four uh, blacksmiths. And they give them some kind of random piece of metal. I've seen um, ball bearings. I've seen uh, bicycle parts. I've seen uh, thick braided steel cable. And what they have to do is they have to take it. They have to heat it and forge it into a knife and then they have to eventually make it into an actual working weapon well they'll test this particular weapon uh boy knives um you'll see all kinds all kinds of crazy designs for these knives that they make out of the most interesting hunks of shit eventually they narrow down from the four blacksmiths to the two to the final two then they'll they tell them that they're going to send them back to their home forges for five days and they have to forge some form of uh, historical weapon. I've seen Viking hammers, battle axes, tomahawks, short swords. Uh, I saw the um, a lancer sword. Uh, all kinds of crazy shit. And the stuff that these people go through to make these unbelievable pieces of art. Uh, I mean, it really shows an unbelievable craftsmanship, but it's the best part about all of it, honestly, is the first round. Like, they come in, the four blacksmiths walk in, and they're giving their credentials, and almost all of them sound the same. Like, I've been blacksmithing since I was five years old, 
I'm a hunter and a fisherman, and uh, we didn't go buy knives. You made your own knives. So I made like 10,000 blades. Ain't nobody here to keep up with my 10,000 blade skill. And then they put a clock up, and they give them three hours to forge their first knife, and almost guaranteed all four of them are going to have some kind of hiccup or problem. And because they feel the stress of the clock, it's not like, I don't, I don't know what to do now, man. I don't know what to do. That's crazy. <laughs> so forged by it's fire, huh? Forged in fire. Forged in fire, excuse me. Okay. And forged his- in fire on the History Channel. Check it out. It's really an entertaining show. Um, even my wife has kind of gotten into it. And it's, a, it's amazing to see what these real craftsmen can do um, with raw garbage material. Yeah, I hear you. That's amazing. It's a, it sounds like a pretty interesting show, so I'm going to check that out. Well, um, Jay, that leads us to Dick of the Week. Who's your Dick of the Week? My Dick of the Week is a man named Charlie Ebersole. Do you know who Charlie Ebersole is, Will? I know that name. He's related, well, you might know his he's related to Dick, right? father, Dick Ebersole. <laughs> yeah. So Dick Ebersole um, is a big-time uh, media member. Him and... This and this is why Charlie Ebersol is my dick of the week. Dick Ebersol, oddly enough, Charlie is now the dick of the week, son of a dick. Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon in 2001 um, tried to create a new football league because the NFL was becoming too soft. Yeah. Uh, they called it the XFL. Do you uh, remember the XFL, Will? Very, very vividly, I do. It was it was huge for one year. On our former years, and some of the things they did were definitely break out and push the NFL to to redefine and and repackage their brand because the XFL in their first the first couple of games they got some attention. Um, now a lot of their players and, and coaches didn't go very far after the XFL, but the, they were but featured. Okay. On, they were featured on ESPN. They were on national you know television. They had a deal with NBC, so they they were doing pretty good. They did okay. They did okay. Um, but the problem was that Vince McMahon wasn't supposed to be as involved as he was, but Vince McMahon ultimately is a one of the world's biggest attention whores. And eventually that led to a lot of a lot of things going very wrong for the XFL. They just did a thirty for thirty on the XFL that was great. Yeah, I saw that. Did you know do you know who produced and directed that thirty for thirty will? Was it the same one who directed the Flair 30 for 30? Nope, it was Charlie Ebersole. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of following you here with this because now things have changed a little bit, haven't they? They have. Yes. So at the end of that 30 for 30, you have, I'm sorry, well, let's, well let, let's start with at Vince McMahon first. Let's start with Vince McMahon. What, what did he say maybe about, I don't know, three, four, five months ago? That he's going he's gonna to be bringing back out the, the XFL. Well, that was where I was going to. At the end of the 30 for 30, Dick Ebersole and Vince McMahon were sitting there having drinks, and they said that they were going to do it again, meaning that they were going to start up the XFL again. Right. So the XFL, although this time uh, Vince McMahon is taking more time, he's not trying to rush things, I think their first game is slated for 2020. Correct. That's their plan. Correct. So this is why Charlie Ebersole is the dick of the week, because he saw that ending and figured, you know what, that would be great. My father and Vince McMahon, they have, they have a true bromance. They're as close as friends could be. They want to go do this. They're going to chase down this thing, XFL. I know what I'll do. 
I'm going to go ahead and start the Alliance of American Football and study it to, st- to go at the exact same time as the XFL, but start a year sooner. Yep. Basically, it stole the whole idea from Vince, Vince McMahon and just said, hey, listen, I'm just going to do this a year earlier than you. Worse, he stole it from his fucking dad. Yeah. Ugh. He stole it from his dad. So I'm going to do it a year earlier. Completely fucking his dad. I was excited. I hope the XFL still comes out. I'm really excited to see what it could, what a little summer football could be. But, man, the AAF, the uh, the Alliance for American Football, or of American Football, only the gank in the XFL. And that is why Charlie Ebersole is the Dick, Dick of the Week. Dick of the Week. There you go. Well, listen, that's, uh, that's a wrap for uh, tonight's podcast. I want to thank um, both Jay and Gab. Uh, thank you guys so much for contributing to the podcast. Um, you guys are awesome, and I couldn't do this without you. Um, I wanted to remind everybody um, of the social media one last time. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, Dark Fringe Radio. Look that up. And on um, <clears throat> excuse me, on iTunes users or uh, iPhone users, you just go to your iTunes. And Android users, just go to your Play Music app. Look up Dark Fringe Radio. You'll be able to find our podcast there. Um, again, I will direct you guys to the loneliest website in the world, which is darkfringeradio.wordpress.com. You can check out all the latest stuff there. And uh, Gab, where can they um, reach um, all of your uh, most recent uh, horror movie review and news? You're constantly putting out stuff. Please tell everybody where they can follow you. Instagram, Gab's already dead. Awesome, awesome. Very good. Uh, Jay, anything else for you tonight? Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you see. Do your research and be you. That's what she said. That's uh, that's it for tonight, and uh, that's a wrap. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you guys next week.
doing Stevie Wonder? That shit ain't funny, motherfucker. Don't you never let me see you do that shit again. I fuck you up. Stevie Wonder's a musical genius. That's terrible. That's terrible, man. Your mother brought you up wrong. That's what it is. Your mother brought you up wrong, motherfucker. I got mad. I was hanging out with Stevie two months ago. I said, look, Steve, I get too much motherfucking flack over this impression. I don't like doing it. I ain't doing the shit no more. Stevie said, well, I feel that. I said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> but you got to cut Steve off quick, because if he get a roll going, he'll talk your ears off. You ever see Steve win a Grammy and come up and give one of them long-ass acceptance speeches? I'm saying, the winner is Stevie won. And Stevie be talking about... And I'd like to say that all the people in the world today, God's children, and think, and they would just take the motherfucking award and get the fuck out. Because if you don't say nothing, the credits would be rolling. And Stevie going, and I'd like to think, and like, I'd be in the car. I said, just shut the fuck up, Stevie. I'm telling you, you're a genius and all that shit. But you, my boy, man, we hanging. I mean, like it's nice and all that shit. But I don't, I don't appreciate all the flack. Personally, the piano and the singing. I told you how I feel about singing. I ain't impressed. You want to impress me? Take the wheel for a little while, motherfucker. I heard that shit, man. That shit wasn't funny. Then I suppose that any little sketch, Stevie crashed in a tree, right? Ha ha, very funny, motherfucker. Your mother got a wood leg with a kickstand, motherfucker. Your mother got a mouth in the back of her neck and the bitch chew like this. <laughs> Motherfucker, Stevie Wonder jokes and shit. 